welcome episode uh, five of Noob Perspectives. Today we're talking about social stuff in role-playing games. Uh, social encounters, social games, social uh, interactions, role-playing, all the things. Mm -hmm. Very um, well put, Tyler. <laughs> everything that does not involve you being alone. Yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. Um, we're going to talk about interacting with players, interacting with NPCs, interacting with player characters, all the different aspects of interacting. So obviously I am the, the host of this episode, Tyler. Uh, we've got... <laughs> Leah. Sarah. And Tori. We would wear so name tags, you know, if that was helpful. <laughs> oh yeah. Peer through the audio. Um, so uh, the first question I have for everyone is, what is your experience? Uh, experience in a social game um and before you you state that i would like it, if we defined what you mean by a social game when you're talking so like do you mean a social game is one where you talk to the to each other talk to npc like what's your definition of being social in an rpg doing a social thing in an rpg it's an excellent question um oh gosh i mean i think to me like, be <laughs> thank you, Car. Um, being social <laughs> is like it encompasses everything. I include uh, being social with the other player characters as well as NPCs. But I think more in game terms, I consider it anything you have to roll for, uh, or like things that like contribute to a storyline to the game. Um, things that have challenges. Um, so. That would be like getting information from an NPC. Uh, I think even like shopping episodes, if you have those in your campaigns, those are just that kind of social aspect because you're going out and you're buying things. I mean, usually I've played in campaigns where the DM plays out the shopping campaign fully. Yeah. But I feel like there's definitely some out there where people just skip that. Which I can understand. <laughs> yeah, I think I do. I do a little bit of both. It depends on what you're purchasing, and yeah, same. you know, if you're going down to the the local blacksmith to buy a sword, I'm not super concerned. But if you like want to find some rare items or something like, or like that, bartering then, for things or at bartering, like a local yeah. market. Yeah. Or... Mm -hmm. um, but if you're just like you're like I want to pay full price for this thing, I don't <laughs> care. Just I want this over with. Then yeah, we don't have to role play that all out. Yeah. Um, so you said that it involves something to do with a role yeah that's the thing that i find interesting Same. um so do you, what did you want to add on to that tori i i yeah i guess i i don't feel like it has to be necessarily role-based like i feel like there's definitely other means of like role play because like you do have like you know like the like i guess almost like like you were saying like the investigative aspect of like going and trying to get information out of npcs and whatnot but i think even potentially like inter-character like if you are kind of like developing in some setup or you know i guess one of like the i guess kind of more classic ones that i see more often is like you have like the like lawful paladin and whatnot who has like their creed and their oath and how they hold themselves and you have like the rogue who's trying to like loot stuff off the rest of the party and whatnot like you can have inter-party kind of points where you can have this kind of social role play aspect that can really help kind of give development to the different characters whether you know maybe one has like a big moment where they kind of come into something or like have realizations about themselves and i don't think that necessarily needs to have roles for that to count as like a social role play encounter necessarily within them yeah i would agree with that um just because of how important it is sometimes to have characters interact with each other yeah. for example you and I, Sarah, are playing yep. at a very slow burn romance so slow. in our games. <laughs> and it's fun, and it's... <laughs> Character development it's a, is dope. It's a good, yeah. good part of the game. It, it is great. <laughs> um, though, uh, I think, Sarah, you were, when you are talking about rolling, I think you are talking about interacting with NPCs, right? Yeah. Because yeah. Um, I don't think you can actually roll for doing anything to a PC. I've seen people some ask. DMs. Some DMs do that. I've seen people ask for people to roll when they're unsure how their character would react. That's that's mm. another, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, come to think of it, I think in one campaign, a player character joined, and they were just straight up lying about their entire personality and the reason they joined our group. And I think for the big lies, it was like they actually had to roll deception against everyone else to see if we picked up on things. Dang, what game was that? It was in uh, Nico's campaign, so my D&D &D mm -hmm. campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, someone joined in, 
and said like, oh yeah, like I'm from this like this church, this like following, and I sure would love to join you guys. And like they were acting so sweet and innocent, like they've been living in that church their whole life. And then we learned more and more about um, their actual goals and personality, and it was just a whole 180. Like their whole appearance was a deception. Their backstory, like. It became wow. frustrating because we as uh, players knew that everything was bullshit, but we had to discover <laughs> it as, uh, as our characters, too. And that, that's, that's pretty cool, actually. It is pretty cool, but I feel like that also is, like, at least something I've always tried to avoid when I kind of do my own campaigns. is Because it is very hard as, like, a player. Like, obviously, everyone tries their best to, like, I guess not, like, allow, like, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that, like, they actually know in relation to affected decisions. But to a degree, you can't do that infinitely, like... As a player, fundamentally, you having that knowledge is going to weigh on things you do and, like, how you make choices. It just is. Just subconsciously, Exactly. So, like, having a party know that the entire time and, like, then making their characters figure out, figure, like, any of that kind of stuff out, it can be a good tool, but I'm at least always... I always try to avoid it personally or be very careful with it, because, like, it does make the roleplay side of things a lot harder when you're mm-hmm. yeah. trying to make decisions without using information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think something that uh, could work is if you do that... <coughs> Ooh, bless bless you. you. I do loud sneeze. Um, <laughs> Edit that low. <laughs> um, I think something that you could do is make that encounter, like, that deception... Piece, if you're if you're afraid of it sort of um, like permeating into the players mindsets mm-hmm. um, you could have it like be a shorter term thing yeah I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't imagine doing that as like a long-term setup like yeah like a whole campaign based around trying to figure out oh, that one of the players is evil when you know <laughs> they're evil yeah. the entire time yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's a little bit uh, it also just be kind of I feel frustrating to role-play that mm-hmm. and and a little bit like I don't know it's it, it brings into that concept of what if the player is better at something than their character yeah like what if the player is better at figuring stuff out than their characters how do you how do you do that yeah. um, we're gonna talk a little bit more about that especially related to charisma and that stat uh, regardless <laughs> of what you call it uh, in a game that like yeah. most games have that kind of stat or that kind of skill like uh uh, and some characters are better at it than others, and some players are better at it than others, and they don't always uh, coincide. So, um, with that, uh, we we've mentioned a lot of words. We've mentioned the uh, we've mentioned the word role play a lot. Uh, but what I want to do is get your take on what is role playing. What does that mean? Because you summarized that in a couple of sentences. I mean, my elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, your your elevator pitch for role playing. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Um, that's, uh, role-playing. It's just, to me, it's any time that you take on the characteristics of your character when you kind of just imagine, okay, how would they take this? How would they react to this? And that's how you influence your play style or how you influence, like, your response to a situation or an interaction. So kind of like, um... With uh, mine and Leah's characters, the slow burn romance in our one campaign, like, that kind of just influences our role playing in very subtle ways. So, like, if there's ever, like, we're running away from something, I'll stay behind until her character catches up. And it's kind of just putting those small details mm-hmm. in to be like, this is the flavor that my character adds to the story. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I, I think at, like, at the end of the day, like... Yeah, it's 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 hard to I guess say have like a general synopsis, but like it it's really at least in my opinion the most important part of any of them. Like, mm-hmm. it's it is a role playing game. It is built into the title, like with it, like that kind of role playing social aspect of it, mm-hmm. and it's it it really is the ingrained nature of everything you do to a degree down to like how you interact with one another how you carry yourself even like in fights like how do you kind of go about that and how would your character and who you are do that and how would they interact with the things and it, it really is kind of the to me at least from what i see like the backbone and the basis for which really everything else kind of is built off and built around like you, you play these games so that you can kind of get into this world and kind of for whatever reason you know you're 
leaving kind of your normal day-to-day life to kind of mm-hmm. put yourself into these worlds and kind of putting yourself into this other person's shoes and really getting into that character and getting into that social aspect of it is really mm-hmm. the core of the entirety of this style yeah. of game. I agree with everything that's been said. Role-playing is just a vague form of acting yeah. <laughs> um, where you're not following a script. <laughs> so that's kind of what I wanted to... to uh, I'm glad you brought up acting because... Kind of like improv. Yeah, so so is that what role-playing is? Is role-playing acting? I think it depends. Um, for some people, it might be. Like, if you're kind of going something that's, you know, entirely out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. um, it might be more of, like, an act or more of, like, an improv thing to kind of, like, pull out, like, what do I think this person would do? Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, some people then prefer, like, rather than kind of pushing out in that way, they like kind of going into the world, but they like their character still kind of being in their own comfort zone and kind of playing even potentially a character that's really more based around how they would do things and whatnot, to which I wouldn't know if I'd call that acting. I think that's just right. kind of... Right putting themselves like, into this world. I feel like a lot of first characters yeah. are like that. Like, a lot of the times when it's like, oh, my first character, it's like a like a representation of yourself, like a it, fantasy or Because it's a lot easier yeah. to know how you would react, yeah. because it's you. <laughs> yeah. Very true. I think that's, even, like, the most seasoned players find, like, traits of themselves in their characters. Oh, totally. For sure. For sure. And it's just an easier way to relate to what your character will be going through. Yeah. Or, or it's, like, a really common thing to, like, look for, like, pop culture references that you're super familiar with. Right. Like, uh, the first character that I ever created in D&D was a, um, because the first ever campaign I played was D&D, and I created a character who was just ripped straight out of a book uh, <laughs> that, that I had read, uh, uh, like, a book series, I guess, that I'd read a lot of. So... Like having that was knowledge, it? Uh, it was Dritz Dorden. Uh, oh right, the, the, the half the, the the drow ranger. Which book uh, was from, that? It's it's from the book called The Legend of Dritz. Uh, <laughs> appropriate. Um, that makes sense. It's written by R. A. Salvatore. Great books. Uh, he's got like thirty friggin' books out. Hello, cat. <laughs> he's got like yeah, he's got like thirty books. So many books. Uh, it's like the books. Forgotten Realms sort of. It's all written by him. Cool. And other people as well. Like now, it's being written by more other people. Um, but he sort of created that world. Yeah, I think that's also a lot of fun. It's like the tabletop RPG version of a fan fiction. It you kind know? of is. Yeah, you're taking something <laughs> that you really love and you're making it into a medium that you mm-hmm. can kind of control and yeah. uh, explore. Exactly. Yeah. Like almost like a more interactive video game right mm-hmm. like it's like you get to make your own video game with this as the main character um another thing related to the acting that i wanted to talk about is how do you feel about third person descriptions in social encounters so as an example uh there are like two things two ways that i can think of that you could uh, approach interacting with an npc are uh you know, s- straight up saying exactly what you want to say. So, so for example, you want you uh, want to convince the NPC of something, and so you lay out your argument, and mm-hmm. you say exactly what my character is saying. Um, like, uh, or you could say my character convinces them. I have some evidence that I found before. Here's a couple of pieces of evidence. Uh, which one do you like to do? How would you? Like, do you consider both of those role-playing? What's what's your stance on that? Um, oh, God, that's an excellent question. I think I struggle sometimes with matching what I think my character would be capable of in a situation. It's hard to be like, I've got high charisma. Like, I am a bard, and I'm going to seduce the hell out of this dragon, <laughs> which is, like, the fantasy of fantasies. Um, not for me. But like in all, RPGs, for all bards, the ultimate goal is seducing something or someone. Yeah, yeah, that's usually the case. Um, but it's it's harder to match what you like want a situation to be. So it's easier to be like, uh, my character does this in such a way, and it's supported by the role. But like a lot of characters also just want to be like, and I say this, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that the key thing there you mentioned is the role. Yeah, and I feel like if you are doing more of like a, I'm I'm doing 
like a like a third person like this is what my character says uh my character would say something like this you know and then i roll my dice and i add my modifiers or i roll or whatever and then the dice dictate how well i put those sentences together yeah that's true the dice roll also adds an interesting uh beginning like if you wanted to you could approach a social situation and say i'm going to try to use charisma Mm -hmm. and you roll first and then you decide what you say afterwards like if you roll a nat one you say, oh, I compliment them on their hairy arms, and I think they like it. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I I think for me, what I've at least always somewhat kind of tried to do is at least, like, try to it kind of, like, explain, like, you know, like, what my argument would be to a degree. Like, it... it I guess, like, t- it is hard when, it, like, it's, you know, a subject that you don't actually know about as a player, but your character would, but the way, at least I've always tried to, like, at least, even if it's not right, kind of give something towards the general vague idea, which would seem correct, and then the role can kind of describe whether it works or whether it doesn't. Okay, like, more of, like, the role is more of, like, how you string the sentences together rather than the evidence that you're providing. Yeah, okay. kind of like, like, you're like, how well can you convey that or how well you present it, kind mm-hmm, of. Mm-hmm. And I think that can also help as well, because what I've done at times with the, as, like, as a GM for that kind of a thing is, like, if even if, like, the players, you know, like, aren't necessarily super well-versed in something but at least have some knowledge... If they, like, are just, like, I'm going to roll to try to convince them of this, it's, like, okay. But, like, if they come in, they're, like, I'm going to try to convince them of this, I, like, and, like, this is what I would say, and, like, they have all these generic points and whatnot, like, depending on how well they do it, I may give them, like, a circumstance bonus to the roll or Mm -hmm. other things. It's, like, you know what? Like, you've made good points. You've brought out good things. Like, that will benefit you in making that attempt. So, like, it's not required, but it's almost, like, rewarded and can be more helpful. Yeah, it's a good way of doing it. I... I think that brings up another question. Mm-hmm. Um, Always the question. <laughs> what? So, question, man. Yeah, uh, I have no answers, just questions. Um, oh, wow. Uh, that's, so, a, that's appropriate. What, um, what is the difference then? Like, how do, you, how do you justify player skill versus character skill? Because if I'm a player... And let's say I am, I'm a very eloquent speaker, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm very good at uh, like the convincing and whatnot. But my character is a, an orc barbarian with eight charisma, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm uh, with that. And, and, you know, the player strings together this elegant speech, but, they, but would you still ask them to roll the die? Would the speech itself be... Um, like be sufficient for convincing of whatever you were trying to do. Yeah, I, I think to a degree, like at that point, it also just kind of comes down to a general concept as well of you as a character. Like y- you need to always try to work on matching your character energy, mm-hmm. and I, like I think that even like is just kind of a generic thing that like you should always be trying to work for as a player. And I think as a DM, like you need to like sometimes keep in check. Mm-hmm. with certain players even okay. just like as a reminder of just like hey like i know you can kind of do this thing but like you can't project that necessarily onto the character if it doesn't make sense i've had like characters that i've dm'd for where like they have like a very heavy science background and then they're playing like a druid which doesn't have like you know like low intelligence but like it's all based around like nature and flora and fauna mm-hmm. and whatnot and then they start like pulling out math and physics concepts because they know about it as a person and it's like yo like i yes you have intelligence like yes but like you got to make sure that like you're keeping in the scope of like your character like yes you could know but like why would your character know that like if they've lived in the woods and they're like the whole time like why do you know physics like and all like the names and terminologies and things like so there's a degree of like being aware of who kind of your character is and like trying to make sure that you keep in that so is, so is that yeah. the point then you would ask for that role and say hey this role will tell me whether or not what you're saying like is strung well together or what you're saying or maybe like you have some yeah yeah i and think the role is a good like important thing because if you roll high enough then it's like okay sure your character doesn't have a great stat for that but somehow you found a way to finesse it mm-hmm. but even if they string together something very eloquent mm-hmm. and like nicely put if they roll low enough you can still flavor it like um if they're of one race and they're talking to someone of another race, it's like, mm, unfortunately, you were, yeah, you were trying to say something that's pretty elegant, eloquent in, um, like, orcish, 
But there was some translation error, and you insulted their mother, and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Big oops. Yeah, because... Yeah. Uh, go ahead. You, you really need the role to be there. You do. Mm-hmm. For it to be a balanced game. Right. Because, like, you don't have to roleplay being good at punching, because it's <laughs> something you do in real life. Right. Charisma and intelligence and, like, all those mental stats are definitely a different yeah. beast. It's not something you do in real life. You're not like, I'm going to punch Sarah, and then you roll to see if you punched her good in the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has to be there, otherwise you could feasibly have a character who's good at everything, because you just happen to be bad at things you're good at in real life. Yeah. T- t- Tyler mm-hmm. wanted me to sense. make an attack roll, so, you know, I gave him a pretty strong, like, right jab in his side. <laughs> because I was so good at that, he gave me a circumstance <laughs> bonus. Yeah. 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 give you a circumstance negative because you just punched your DM. (laughs) Um, Just threatening him. So, yeah, so that's really interesting. I'm still struggling myself Mm -hmm. with the, like, balance of that and, like, how to to tell players or how to give players bonuses for that kind of thing. Because the thing is, I think I would give players bonuses for, like, strength-based, dex-based, con-based things Mm -hmm. if they had a good reason for why they would be able to have, like, a bonus for the situation. Like, I know to lift with my legs. (laughs) Well, or, or like, or, like, you know, uh, if it's a a dexterity bit, maybe they're, like, doing some acrobatic stuff and they're, like, oh, well, I specifically put on good shoes for this circumstance so that I, you know, have traction on this type of of I think floor, maybe true. that would give them. Yeah. So it's it's more about the the preparation that their characters do. Yeah, I, I think the way I've done it personally, and obviously no idea if this is right or wrong, but it's it's worth at least my thing is if I'm going to give bonus for any of this kind of convincing, mm-hmm. I'm I'm purely deciding that bo- going to give that bonus based off of the meat of the argument. I'm mm-hmm. not paying attention to how you flavor right. it or yeah. how you go about making the argument or how you try to persuade or anything like that. That kind of to me is where the really the role is kind of coming down to. But mm-hmm. like. If you can kind of just come out and just, like, you have, like, just solid, like, hey, I'm looking, like, you know, for this person, and, like, this is a sketch of them, and, like, this is something you're trying to get information, like, if you have that kind of just meat behind it, that does just make it, like, like I think that deserves a bonus, because it, it, it's hard to terribly phrase, like, providing physical blatant points or evidence. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if if they're doing that kind of a thing or that kind of a setup, I feel mm-hmm. that's where I would award it, if, like, the meat of what you're kind of trying to say is there rather mm-hmm. than just the flavoring of it yeah, versus yeah. then kind of it comes down to how you want to role play it and what the role dictates into how well you actually do it. I mean, there... I think there is maybe an argument to be made for giving bonuses for the way you say things. But like not in a like they're good at talking way, but like if you're if you're using a different skill, there's always the option for you to do something on accident that works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally. And yeah. so that would apply also, I think, probably in social situations. Mm-hmm. Like where you, maybe you didn't yeah. know something, but you happen to say something that the NPC knows about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of spark something. Yeah, and going back to Tyler's point, I I like that you brought up, I like that you brought up um, role playing in terms of like the other stats like uh, strength or dex, and that's like, I think you should be able to get a bonus if you reasonably say like, oh I'm I'm gonna move this thing by like, pushing it a certain way or like mm-hmm. knowing that like there's a hill here so it's gonna be easier to push mm-hmm. or like, things like that where you just build more. Um, I don't know, life into a situation mm-hmm. where it's just like, yeah, you're making a good point for why this could be an easier thing to do. Mm-hmm. A game that really handles that really well uh, is actually a game that doesn't have any of those stats, but it's it's all skill-based, right? It's fate mm-hmm. with, the, with the aspects, yeah. right? It's like, oh, I have this aspect of, uh, you know, they, maybe they have a, a guilty face or I have a convincing... Uh, piece of evidence or, or a great storyteller or a great storyteller or you know maybe you have the aspect of uh running downhill or something, you know you know like uh, the all of those things are mechanics built into the game so it's really nice for players to be able to use those to their advantage so you know 
it is, you're right, role-playing is one of the three words, and in fact it is the first word. <laughs> um, not sure if that matters, because game-playing kind of. role doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't, uh, doesn't really work. Uh, but um, but my, my, my point is, the word game is still in there, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so player skill needs to be expressed somewhere in there, I think. Mm -hmm. Right? And the player's ability to manipulate the mechanics of the game should be celebrated. Yeah. Like, you being able to actually play it well. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, including, like, you know, not, not just in the combat situations with tactics and stuff, but, like, outside of that as well. Um, so we've talked about what role-playing means to us. We've talked about how, you know, third-person role-playing is just as good, if not uh, better in some situations. Mm -hmm. um, to the whole, like, you know, spelling out exactly what you're going to say to convince someone or to um, talk to an NPC. Uh, what uh, What do you feel about um, character voices? Oh, character voices. I, yeah, I, I have the one way I've kind of come to do it, at least for me personally, when I'm DMing. I, I, usually for me, actually, as a character, I don't typically... But as the DM, to have a separation between what I'm actually, like, trying to give them information in-game versus, like, when we're just, like, talking about something, mm -hmm. I will typically give, like, voices to characters, but the one thing that's always kind of weird in mine is I have terrible memory and I can't write down what voice I use for every person, so it's yeah. kind of like one of those, you're gonna know if I'm talking, if I'm referring to a person because they will have a voice to them. But don't expect it to be the same if they come back at a later date, because I cannot ever remember that. Yeah. I've, tr I've tried doing, like, little, like, notes here and there of, like, oh, it's, like, vaguely this or vaguely that. It never ends up working well. It's just mm. kind of like, you know what? Who knows? They're they're Scottish today, and maybe they're Irish tomorrow. Who knows? We're, yeah. we're along for the ride. <laughs> You're pretty set, though, because I've realized, like, through being part of your campaigns or just listening to you DM other ones you have an NPC voice. I and do. I hear it, and I'm like, oh yeah, he's an NPC exactly. right now. Yeah. It's like, just common amongst so many. It's just like a yeah. generic tone you take. Correct. Okay. Which yeah, kind that... of helps, in, it, it kind of helps yeah. break the, the gap between... That works. ...as an NPC and then just kind of as your DM. <laughs> I've never used a character voice as a player, because I, uh, my, I guess my throat doesn't do that, doesn't want to. <laughs> or my brain doesn't want to, who knows. Yeah. Um, and it, it's less of a voice... Then it is just a slight inflection. Can you give us an example? I don't want to. <laughs> That's okay. fair. Um, I think uh, that I like doing character voices as a DM. As a, as a player, again, I don't do it because uh, of the inconsistency it might bring. Um, so it... It's a it, yeah. It's it's not quite um, not quite good for me in that sense. But if uh, as a player, sometimes you're not talking as your character, and if you don't have a voice for them, or you don't have like a a, a way of being like I'm now talking as my character, it gets confusing. It can get confusing sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Because you know um, sometimes as a and, and as a GM when my players also don't have character voices. I'm like, did you just say that to that guy? And they're like, no, I said, no, I was just saying that out loud because it's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I do that a lot. It's, yeah, it's definitely one of those situations where I kind of, I would like it. Um, um, yeah, I would, I would like it if uh, my players had player or character voices because it would be a little less confusing. But I can always just ask them, and I have often asked them, did you just say that to that person? And, you know, they'll they'll be like, yes or no. Um, There's also the, I guess, benefit that we have in that one where we're all, f like, pixies, with the exception of one now. Yeah. But for a while, we were all pixies, so it was just a matter of, as we've left kind of, like, the fae, and we've kind of gone into, like, the normal plane. <laughs> did you just say that to that person? Nah, we said it in Sylvan. And it's like, oh. And then you just get a lot of people that are give us confused looks, but it's yeah. like, cool, you definitely didn't hear me plotting about robbing you later or whatever else, because now you don't, you don't know Sylvan. Yeah, <laughs> I always deal with that kind of situation by, if we're in a place in the game where there are NPCs around, I only ever talk as my character. Okay. Yeah. Or that, or my sentences start with, 
hey Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, yeah, that's a good yeah. indicator. That's a that's a good that's a good one to, to do as well. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I usually just reference like, "Hey God," is <laughs> like a, just referencing the GM. Um, I don't like. I, that. Pers- I don't like that moniker. Nethys really? will be so mad at you. I just I don't know. I do that a lot. I call all my DMs God. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think that's probably a topic for a future podcast. But um, <laughs> all hail the DM. Can I do, don't. Can we do thirty minutes on whether or not we should call you God? I just I dislike that as a as a moniker because of what it implies about the power of a DM mm. and like their role in the game. That's fair. I mean, they do control everything. Say, do they though? In, yes. I just like see that. So for me, I think that if you're a DM that thinks you control everything, then you're playing it wrong. Did you hear that, Sarah? You're playing it wrong. Well, not. I've not, never been God. <laughs> not, not okay. Not wrong, but like, like it's not how I envision my role as the GM. So as the it, uh, see future podcast, this is a tangent. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, I think that as a GM, my role is different. Like, my role is not to be the almighty being who who, who knows all and creates yeah. all. I guess, GM, God mighty. Yeah. I guess to be fair, <laughs> the, the, the one comment I'd make to that without, yeah, proposing like I'm causing a long side tangent. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one main point I'd say to that, though, is I, I would still agree that in terms of power, you are. Because you do I mean, have that. Techni- it comes down yeah. to how you use it. Yeah. A good DM will use it properly. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you do have the power of a god. You can yeah. do genuinely anything. Yeah. You shouldn't do everything. Yeah. And it's um, you know, that's a good point of like a good DM is knowing where to use the power and where to not. But to say you don't have it, yeah. I feel is a completely separate point. I you guess, definitely do. I don't know. I it's like it when players create parts of the world too though. Oh agreed. And, but and you, but, so like like I, I can think of one example like that sticks out in my head is and this is actually kind of related to social okay. gameplay so this is good we're bringing it back on track bringing us back um and it's it's when actually you did this um oh. uh so i was i, I you were talking with a, an npc uh you just saved their child from a, a slave trader uh, As caravan I do. um and what this was? uh this was in uh the north uh, in the cold place, when you guys ambushed the trader caravan, it, there were some. It was while the city was surrounded by bears. No, that was <laughs> it was it was before that because they I were the the caravan boring. was the caravan was ran by bears. Right, right. Uh, or it was uh it was it was like the caravan like the was pulled by bears. I feel yeah. I might know where this is going. Um, so you 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 saved them. You went to go tell the parents that their kid was saved. And then the, the, the dad started walking somewhere, and you were like, hey, you're going the wrong way. And the dad was like, oh, you're right I am. And then turned around and walked the other way. Um, which, to me, if I were God, I could not make that mistake. Right? Correct. Um, but I'm not. I'm just the facilitator. Anyways. Because you're using the power well. <laughs> um and and also I think that other games other than D&D and Pathfinder like explicitly like curtail DM power like specifically fate yeah. does uh, a lot and we can talk about how uh, that relates to games in, in a different episode I think that that's getting too far off track <laughs> um, so bringing us back to character voices from mm-hmm. that um, yeah. you so generally we don't do them as players but I as don't. a DM you have like a uh, a, DM a voice, voice, a DM voice. Yeah, I I have a similar thing as a DM. I like to do uh, voices for my characters, mostly because sometimes uh, there are multiple NPCs in a scene, and mm-hmm. it's important to know which one's talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, you could always uh, do the classic thing that like books do, and it's like the uh, the main or the the you'll say like the innkeeper says this to you, and then the uh, janitor says this to you. Right, just like I, really narrating Exactly. It. Um, and that, and that works perfectly fine. What I like to do is I like to write, like, literally two or three words about what my NPC sounds like. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, it'll just be, like, as simple for me as, like, flamboyant Seth Rogen. And that would be... It's a quality note. Wow. Can you give us an example? I also would really like an example of flamboyant Seth Rogen. I don't have a flamboyant Seth Rogen voice. I just thought it would be funny if if that were a See, this is why you're not God. God would have it. Um, 
but like, but um, I did have one where uh, I I didn't the the NPC never ended up coming into play. Oh. Um, but it was it was written as um, as passive aggressive Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Amazing. Um, where he had a he he would uh, had this idea where he would say, "Why aren't you just doing it? Why can't you just do it?" It's beautiful. And and that would be like uh, and that was like my whole motivation for that character in that scene. You say that line to get wow. in the character, yeah. get that voice. Yeah. Um. And so that's how I would get in the the headspace of a character. Just read those three or four words, and that would get me back in the space. Um. Obviously, again, like that's not for everyone. Like we've discussed here, and the the narrating works just as as well for tracking multiple NPCs in a scene. Um. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of stuff uh, in this episode so far. Uh, one thing that I want to talk about that we started talking about before the podcast um, was DM PCs. Uh, what a DM PC is. Uh, for those people, uh, what it is to my understanding anyways, from what I've read and, and heard about and what, how we're going to talk about it today is it's basically a, 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 a character that the DM is playing that is ostensibly part of the party. Yeah. So uh, an, uh, an NP, uh, all the DMs, uh, the DM plays all the NPCs, obviously, um, but most of them are not they don't stick around for long periods of time they may mm. be recurring uh like you may have to go back to this person like throughout a quest or something but um they aren't with the party for long periods of time in a row so to me a dmpc is a is an npc that sticks with the party for several sessions in a row uh yeah. for and, maybe a whole adventure or something like that and and as well usually like is at points like actively kind of contributing yeah. to everything. Yeah. Not just sitting there and is like, yep, you know, this is this is Steve. Steve just stands here with the party and will attack yeah. things when everyone else tries to fight things. But like is like actively sitting there and trying to like help guide the party and help kind of steer things potentially. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, can definitely get into more trouble because at the end of the day it is your DM doing it. And mm-hmm. if your DM is now just kind of there just to kind of steer you as a party through this NPC that they've like put in your within your setup it it does to a degree kind of remove your agency as a player to kind of control what you what you're doing and where you're going like you you could just say like nah forget Steve screw him I don't care I'm not going that way but like it it gets a lot more complicated mm-hmm. because then it comes down to like you know it, as a player it's like well you know, with me and my character, like, this is something I kind of want to go do, or this is something I want to go, like, mm-hmm. kind of look into. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, Steve is really talking about go checking out that castle on the outskirts of town, so, like, I guess that's where we're meant to go. So, like, do I, do I guess just go do that so we can advance the plot, or do I actually do what I want to do? And that yeah. can kind of put players into a weird situation. Into, like a weird decision matrix yeah. that you have to do. Yeah. Um, something that I find, uh, interesting about dm pcs and about dms like uh, interacting with the party is what information you do and don't give Mm -hmm. and how you uh talk to them um because as a dm pc sometimes you're often playing you you have like a uh uh, like an actual character build like they're a, like if, if the party's level four you're a level four pc essentially right you don't even take like an npc from a, a different book or something like that yeah um so the the other thing is like do do these dmpcs have like more that more power than the other players maybe not but do they have more information 100 percent because the the person playing them can see behind the screen, so to speak. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never had an experience or any campaign that I've played in where there was actually a DMPC involved. Mm-hmm. So I can't really. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, think I'm the only one yeah. who has experience with that. Would you like to speak to it? Of course, I would. <laughs> um, anything for my uh, podcast time? You could have stopped with "Would you like to speak?" and Sarah would say yes. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, but yeah, so I, in my campaign, uh, it's in D&D, 
And so we have a cleric on our team who was brought in because we're, we're getting close to the end game. So it's like we're about to fight the big bad. And so our DM was like, oh, like maybe your team needs a healer. And so we picked up the healer and we brought her with us. And it's become a point where they are deeply ingrained in the social aspects of our party. Like all the characters love her and like will protect her and it'll be so sad if anything were to happen to her. And so we've become emotionally invested, and I think a lot of people call that, like, adopting an NPC, mm -hmm. when you just, like, fully bring it in and you make it so that the DM has to bring them along with the group. And so that's a lot of fun, actually. I really enjoy that. Yeah. I, th I think that might be something else. Like, or or it's a different, like, as a subgenre of DMPC, yeah. right? Like, you, you guys have done that. Yeah. You guys ad adopted, like, a fire demon that you named Elsa. Yeah, so cute. which did not match the fact that it was a fire demon, but you guys like yeah. adopted that thing and was like, okay, guess that's staying around now. Yeah. I didn't. Ex we gave didn't, it so much trauma. I didn't expect that thing to stay yeah. around at all. I, that was just a random mob, one of like a bajillion of them in a dungeon, but you you just kept it and adopted it. And it was like, I okay. When you phrase it like that, I remember that when we ran an evil campaign, you guys accidentally adopted a wizard who wanted nothing to do with you, but you destroyed his <laughs> castle, and then. Promised him you would give him a castle back, so he followed you, and you never did. We, did we all died. It's not our fault. I didn't die. I was thrown to the bottom of a river. Yeah, you're the the ring you? from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, basically. Um, a hobbit will find you one day. Uh, uh, one day. <laughs> one day. Yeah, maybe we'll come back to that. And then my evil will rise again. Yeah. Uh, for reference, he was a sentient gun. Um, I was yeah. not a living. I didn't have that context. Yeah, I was he not was like a sentient a... gun. He didn't need to breathe. He just wanted to murder people, and then he ended up at the bottom of the river because. Um, the boat they were on exploded. Yeah, I think. Yeah, something it, like it, that. It, it was a warlock setup where I, my like patron was a deity who just like to make me like more lethal. Was like, cool, I'll make you fully lethal, and just turned me into a living weapon. That's some genie bullshit right there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh okay. Yeah. Um. So that's the so that that's your experience with the NPCs. Um. I have. Uh, mixed feelings on that idea. Oh, um, because Would you like to speak to that? I, <laughs> you know God. what? No, I wouldn't. Uh, no. No. Uh, so, like, yeah, the, the, the idea of the DM being part of the party, mm -hmm. I don't know, it feels like... I mean, we keep bringing... I keep bringing up... You keep bringing up the phrase of the phrase role-playing game, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone has their role in the role-playing game. And I feel like the DM's role... Is not to be is a party. Is not to be part of the party. party yeah. yeah. Um, and, but I do think that that might be a different situation. It might be like, I don't know, a morally gray area here. Uh, yeah. uh, of or Not morally, but like a, just a gray area where the DM didn't create this PC to be part of the party, mm -hmm. but the party decided that they were. Yeah. And I feel like that's a, a different it's thing. Different. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a compliment to the DM. Like, he created an NPC that was so great, we want them always. Mm -hmm. You're making sure to only say good things, whatnot, because I'm pretty sure also, to a degree, your DM listens to this as well. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, Nico. <laughs> o only saying good things about what, you know, what he's doing. Yeah. No, no, I have all, all the love for Nico's DMing style. I think when you can find a good DM who's able to incorporate, like, all the different aspects of combat and social and, like, the perfect ratio to keep you so engaged, mm -hmm. that's, it's perfect. Yeah. Nico's a fun guy. Not that you're not, Tyler. Called <laughs> <laughs> um, out. What if, uh, okay, okay, so we've got D DMPCs down. I think that we've decided that, you know, if a DM creates a PC to join the party, that's not necessarily a great thing because of all the knowledge and information that they have. Um, uh, and like there could be some, not necessarily nefarious, but you know, like some unconscious bias towards certain actions that yeah. the party could take. Yeah. Um, what if you have a game with like one or two players and you're the DM? I wouldn't run it. That's there, just not enough okay. players to run it. There are systems built yeah. to have fewer True. players in mm -hmm. them. Like, okay. like, we were looking into buying a system that was meant for just two players. Fair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, and there are, like, GM-less systems and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. GM-less um, systems. 
So you wouldn't. So you would. So yeah. you wouldn't run a DMPC in a game where there's few players in order to sort of fill out the the party. I I don't think it would work well. Like, like and, and I guess like it's very fair to what Lee is saying. Like, it would depend on the system. But like, mm-hmm. if I was running like Pathfinder or like D and D or like something along like those. Mm-hmm. And I had a two-player party. No, I. To me, typically, at least personally, mm-hmm. I typically try to keep it. So that if like if I'm going to be running a session, like one shots, I guess are different because it's only a single thing. But if I'm like running a campaign, mm-hmm. I personally would not be going really below four or like above six, probably at the highest. I'd be willing to take. I've, I've played campaigns. Where we only had three people plus the DM. Mm-hmm. Um, I was DMing one of those. <laughs> we DMed one of those. All of our shots are those. But I played in a full campaign that was like that. Yeah. But it wasn't. What? No. Yeah, I I DM'd that campaign. I meant not that. Not the metro one. No. A different. Oh, okay. Like a like a full like it was like a full year long campaign where yeah. it was just okay. But also it wasn't the combat based campaign Mm -hmm. so there wasn't any of like the you have to modify the difficulty of the encounters because there's only three people it was uh it was actually mostly social entry what system was it uh it was in the burning wheel okay yeah so yeah i yeah i think it depends on the system because like yeah like certain systems like that where it's more built around that i can like see it potentially working Mm -hmm. yeah i mean for more combat based (laughs) ones i at least personally i i wouldn't Okay. You'd yeah, have to you'd have to build your characters in a functioning party because the, the because, yeah because, because you of, don't have enough people. If you have six yeah. players, your characters don't have to be as fully optimized yeah. for their specific role because someone else will fill the gaps. Correct. Um, but if you've only got two players or three players, it's a little bit less. Um, I, I I do remember actually now that you you brought up a short a small number of player count and and you being in one i actually dm'd one of those the metroville campaign with uh um with the, uh this the what was it it was like it was like red dawn but different what's red dawn uh it's a movie from the 80s ah <laughs> uh, yes uh where the russians attack uh uh, the U.S., some, like, small-town U.S. Uh, spicy. And, and, like, a bunch of kids rise up and defeat the Russians. Quality movie reference that totally um, I... Yeah. All, all the rest They of remade it yeah. with uh, not Chris Hemsworth. I... Um, sure. His brother, Liam Hemsworth, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Could be. And this time, this time, not the Russians, it's the Chinese. Oh. Um, oh. Different communists. Anyways. <laughs> uh, anyways. So yeah, uh, that was the style of game, but it was mostly like a like a spy, like sort of like yeah. not trying to fight things because the things that we would be trying to fight are an army of Russians, um, and that's definitely yeah. not the situation that we want to get into. Nobody beats uh, an army. I don't exactly. think there's anything low with roll. It, low player count uh, requires more out of the uh, GM. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, because they have to modify things, mm-hmm. because a lot of rules in things like Dandy and Pathfinder are written for four to five player. Correct. Yep. 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 Yeah. Um, but some but games aren't right, like the Burning Wheel. The positive of even a game like that with low player count is when you have a lot of players, each player gets to play the game a little bit less Correct. because they mm-hmm. can't all be Very involved true. at the same time. So I bring it back to the social. I, I like almost, <laughs> I almost took part in a campaign of. Uh, what system was it? Um, what's that game uh, with the mag- the game you like with the magic people and the dark stuff and the where the elves are all slaves? Oh, Dragon Age. Yeah, the Dragon Age role playing game. I always I almost played in a campaign of the Dragon Age role playing game, but it was eight people. Oh, oh geez. wow! No, not a chance. Eight, eight players or is eight players way and too a DM. Many. Yeah, they so were nine. Geez. Yeah, because. It was a DM that I knew who mm-hmm. offered to run a campaign, mm-hmm. and there was too many people interested in, in being a part of that campaign that I had to back out because that's too many people. That's a, that's a yeah, hard that's thing. I already I I wouldn't even join as the eighth. Like yeah, because it, exactly what you were saying. Like every time you add another person, that's more time. Like like you, a percent of the time that's getting cut from you, right? Like mm-hmm. the mo- the moment a combat occurs, it's like cool. Like uh, I I like I guess in an ideal world, 
you have like yes the board changes and yes you have to kind of adjust what you're trying to do based off what kind of happens in the interim mm -hmm. but like you have seven turns in that kind of a situation to figure out what you're doing yeah. but no one does and you always end up in just a situation yeah. where it's like cool i do my actions and then like you have to wait for seven other people to kind of figure out what they want to do mm -hmm. and then get all their stuff done before it finally kind of comes back to you and it ends up and it's like, cool, we just did like a two and a half hour combat and I had like four turns. Plus, yeah. plus more monsters and stuff usually, right? right? Because yeah. there's more players so they have to fight more things. It's just... Um, mm -hmm. To, it, it can to, get bad. To even roll. in, sorry, oh, even no, in social yeah, aspects, it's That's hard. That's gonna do. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I mean, you have so many people, like, you're not gonna get enough, like... You know, screen time, like no, enough exactly. time, time to do what your character right? wants. Like if you're if you split the party and certain people go one direction, other people wait. You might get the instance of like someone going off on their own story, coming back and then trying to join and take up your time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had that happen once before where I was waiting for a long time for like after the party was split for everyone to join back in, so mm -hmm. that I could be able to role play something. And then as soon as we got back. Um, the person like wanted to join in or like do their own thing and like I had to wait even longer to kind of get going. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's definitely a a thing. Like if you think about it, even like mathematically, right? If there's four players and a DM, each person could have about twenty percent of screen time. Yeah. Right. Because mm -hmm. there's there there'd be five. But the the more players you add, the less percent of the screen time ideally each person gets right and obviously it's never going to be perfectly that percent in every given session but hopefully it averages out to about that much yeah. um but like if you're sitting there for three hours and you get to quote unquote play the game for 10 minutes or 20 yeah. minutes that just feels it's not fun yeah it, like... it's it's harder to get into the role-playing aspect because mm -hmm. you're, you're taking such a large break that your head gets out of the space mm -hmm. and totally. then it's harder to like get back in and like properly be your character yeah it's also harder to be invested in the other characters in your party like socially when there's like 12 of them <laughs> right it's like like if i'm if i'm in a party with six other players or seven other players i don't know all of their backstories or i'm not like or i might get them mixed up and yeah. like and like I, hey, hey, i'm not gonna remember their names definitely not gonna remember their names when your party yeah. becomes less of a party and more of its own guild yeah exactly exactly <laughs> you start to have issues It'd be kind of funny if you were just a guild of like ten players, except most people couldn't make it most weeks. I've seen that. <laughs> so, so that is actually a style of game. One hundred percent. Um, it there's there's a whole like I think it's called the something marches. Oh, I forget. But but like basically how it works is like there's a DM and like thirty players, and like they'll they'll mix and match the players every week, to to like, run adventures uh like that are usually like two or three advent two or three like sessions long mm -hmm. uh and then you like next adventure you'll be mixed with other people because like the idea is you're like part of the an adventuring group or guild for yeah. lack of a better word and like they'll just be like, okay you six you're going on an adventure this week cool go off on your adventure and yeah. so that's kind of how that that sort of style of game works so that's a thing that can happen but usually, even within that thirty-person structure, every given on a given session, there aren't that many people in the game. Oh, yeah, I had never heard of that kind of style. That actually sounds really interesting story-wise. Mm -hmm. Because you get to do more sort of like smaller pieces that are all like working together towards a larger story. As yeah. well as you can really kind of give yourself into kind of those characters as well, because then you get a degree of like stories that like mm -hmm. you and other people may know of the rest of the party doesn't. And it's like, oh, you know, like you six are being assigned out to like go fight this. And it's like, oh, well, like, you know, I don't know what we're doing. Two of them, you know, been in a party before. It's like, oh, well, you know, like we've gone out and like, you know, like we've we've hunted down these birds before, and like, yeah, you know, it it like seems that. like it could be related to like that kind of thing. And, yeah. Like I have reference to this, that, like I may have seen before that you can like then contribute the to the party and you can do things with that. I remember the name. It's called West Marches. Oh. <laughs> it's called the West March. It's like a style of campaign. Very okay. cool. Um, I don't know that many people. <laughs> yeah. No, usually they're like online. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I I see like Discord you know, servers for them sometimes. Thirty of your friends. Thirty of your closest friends. Yeah. 
Um, At that point, get into extended friends or friends and, of friends. Oh, that's too many friends. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, definitely a uh, number of players is, impacts the how social you can be, for sure, Very whether heavily. it be too small or too large. Mm -hmm. uh, to summarize that conversation, which meandered a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so, One, so, we've talked a lot about uh, different games, different uh, social parts of games. Are there? Uh, and we've. I think we've been mostly talking about the uh, the physical aspect of doing the socializing, mm -hmm. right? Like how we talk, what we say, what matters about what we say, and how we say it. Mm -hmm. um, what I want to bring up next is: Are there uh, any systems with mechanics that? have uh that that promote social play or that have like interesting social mechanics involved 100 percent. <laughs> yeah the one that first comes to mind is the burning wheel just because yeah. it has it has a combat system well like, there's like a combat system more like a like a, a very convoluted dueling system yeah um and then it has an equally complex and convoluted <laughs> uh social fight or argument uh, system called yeah. the duel of wits uh and it's v it's very it's a lot um <sighs> but also it's the most uh rule supported talking i've ever done uh, <laughs> in a role-playing game yeah. yeah it's it's interesting because um it it fate does a similar thing to burning wheel um so the way that burning wheel does it the duel of wits is basically like a copy of its dueling system physically except different actions you can take yeah um, some, some stuff isn't isn't there like you don't yeah. have to be farther or closer away to from each other yeah yeah there, there are some aspects that are important in combat that aren't necessarily important in the role play or in the the social yeah. dueling bit but um in in fate it's the exact same thing like the uh the way that fighting works uh there's like a whole section in the book it's called like combat or conflict um contest and some other c word that means fighting um conflict, <laughs> conflict maybe what i think i said that one i don't know anyways don't know. so combat no no contest. not combat not combat combat's not one of them. you said contest contest conflict and something okay um con cool. uh, and so it's basically they're basically like describing the scale of the encounter okay um and they're like, hey, contests work like this. And it doesn't matter if it's a fighting contest, if it's a debating contest, if it's, you know, whatever. Contests are, I believe, they're the they're the one-on-one -on -one or usually maybe like one-on-one-on-one -on -one -on -one sort of things. Um, and they usually break down into like debates or arm wrestles or, you know, yeah. uh, right. like uh, f boxing matches. Um, uh, and then there's like conflicts, which are larger scale. And I, there's there's a third one I'm... I'm sure of it um but anyways the the point is they use the exact same system for fighting and social but i think it works way better for social uh just because yeah uh, it's less detail uh detailed in the fighting did, did yeah, I looked it up. Challenges. It's challenges, contests, and conflicts. Yeah, challenges. Okay, so challenges are the small one then. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> Seems like they're in the order no, of least. I, I think challenges might the be the individual one, where it's like individually you do a challenge against like a uh, an inanimate object. Is that what it is? Uh, I have the definitions up. Okay. So uh, hit, challenges, hit when one or more characters try to achieve something dynamic or complicated... Contests when two or more characters okay. are competing for a goal. Okay. Conflicts yeah. when two or more characters are trying to directly harm each other. Okay. Um, yeah, and yeah. so so those three systems don't tell you whether or not there's like fighting involved yeah. because the thing about fate is you can fight verbally too. Like there, you have like a will. Uh, you can cause social. You can, harm. You can cause social damage. Yep. Uh, whether to their like ego or to their or to their social standing itself. Yeah. Um, so that game has really cool systems in place for dealing with, you know, the the social sparring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I oh, go ahead. No, you can finish what you're saying. Okay. So games, what about games that don't? Pathfinder. Pathfinder, D&D, &D, that D &D. kind of thing. There's, yeah. Do not. Uh, 
there's a lot of role playing games that have social aspects but don't have rules directly related to social aspects. Yeah. Um, I guess Fiasco is technically not a role playing game. I would call Fiasco a role playing game. Right. So you don't really gain or lose anything from being good or bad at talking. And there's no die rolling in Fiasco. It's just, uh, it's just writing a story mm-hmm. together. It's not really a role. There's no, there's not, there's very little rolling, minimal rolling involved. I think you roll at like the start of the game and you roll the end once at the start it. and then you never roll again. I think the other one that I guess I can't speak more to, but you can, is also um, Bubblegum Shoe, which is yeah. very social. But it's it's social, but it's also that exploration aspect that mm-hmm. we did last week with the investigating. Yeah, um, I think it's got both. Pretty it well. does. It does have both pretty well. It has very little, if any, combat. Uh, it's not built around that at all because you're high school students solving mysteries like the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. Um, so like, and, and it involves very little rolling as well. So it's like if you have the skill, then you do the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least for the most part, there are some skills that don't work like that. Uh, but as a general rule that's that's how it works um so like yeah uh so that's a pretty interesting doesn't as much have like the explicit rule support but it's a system that's definitely built a lot more around the Mm -hmm. social aspect yeah yeah there's other systems i'd be interested in trying like i purchased alice is missing a while ago oh the text-based one yeah it's not something we can play on the podcast because it's literally built to be played via text message yeah and like silently yeah but it's it's gmless game it's pretty it it seems pretty cool so it's sort of run by it there's only one scenario i think it's just like one one shot you run Mm -hmm. um it comes in the box and it has like a, a couple of cards and things but it's it's meant for you to sit in a room and like make group chats and talk to each other via text message about like a missing girl um, her name's Alice her name's oh my Alice. gosh oh my God, really? <laughs> I would have never it, guessed that it's I like think a, so actually it, I yeah. haven't played it it's like a thriller <laughs> so the game consists of nothing other than texting each other mm-hmm. huh sounds really interesting yeah it um bringing up more like obscure role playing type games um I can't remember the name but there's this one romance role-playing thing the one with the jenga tower the one with the jenga tower <laughs> i'm sorry what instead of i think it's instead of rules you have to use like a jenga base tower and the different blocks represent like different events or like challenges or something i've never played sure it right. seems no no dare. no there, there is a thing a weird i don't know if it's a subgenre, but there's a lot of different role-playing games where instead of rolling a die you'd pull a block out of a jenga tower weird Mm-hmm. Like, it comes in, in horror games, too, and then there's a romance one. Um, mm-hmm. gen- uh, wood block tower sold separately. Yeah, <laughs> which is <course>. super interesting. <laughs> no, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. That's, a, that's an interesting mechanic. Yeah, yeah uh, I think the whole game is, like, you're two lovers, but, like, you're essentially, like, Romeo and Juliet style. Like, there's something separating you. You have to, like, right. overcome certain odds to be together. Yeah. Sounds adorable. It's but I don't have stuff. a Jenga tower. No, I have a Jenga tower. You know, I might I almost stole one from Tyler's parents' house. But <laughs> I didn't. Should have yeah. <laughs> They're gonna use it. I think my parents um. have Jenga, but it's like edgy Jenga where it's what? like green and it's like different shapes, like it's not just like the rectangles. Oh. It's like they've got like angle like Oh, that's weird. So literally there's them. lots of edges. Got yeah. it. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it more edges or is it just different? different. I think it's the same amount of edges but there's like make, slants i feel like i'll just make jenga objectively harder yeah, yeah. it's like is that Jen- the goal is it i think, I think it was like fun. jenga harder. it's dark souls jenga <laughs> um. apart, apart from dark souls jenga um. <laughs> yeah so okay summarizing what we've talked about today uh many we, off topics yeah we figured out we, we've we've sort of uh discussed what what role playing is to us how it works uh in the game how to deal with charismatic people without that are playing uncharismatic characters and vice versa um we talked about dnpcs we've talked about our favorite social mechanics like the duel of wits and like fate's conflict system yeah. um and we've talked about ones that we don't necessarily uh you know think are very robust like the the pathfinder and D uh, systems they do have like feats and things that you can do to make your characters better at things, but there's it's less robust I think than those 
systems built for it. It's yeah, yeah. It's not that it's less robust. It's that it feels less like like interesting to play. Yeah. yeah. And, There's also um, like you can tell the care that to interject on your summary. Yeah, yeah, uh, you can tell the care that Burning Wheel puts in its social aspects mm -hmm. because the traits that your characters can pick out and gain. Yeah. They directly affect it. Like you get. Mm -hmm certain traits will give you a plus one to duel of wits. Yeah. So you can tell how integrated that social aspect is to the whole game structure. Yeah. Well, there are also, like, feats that will give you, like, pluses to diplomacy in certain situations yeah. in the other systems. In Pathfinder as well. Yeah. yeah. But, like, you can tell just by, like, the sheer percent of the rulebook that's dedicated to <laughs> yeah. those things uh, in Pathfinder and D&D &D and games like that versus games like uh, Burning Wheel. Very much so. Uh, where they write a novel to describe how, long, how to take you uh, through a, uh, a duel of wits. That's a lot. Um, so I think that kind of wraps up our conversation on social encounters, at least for now. I'm sure that we're going to talk about them throughout other podcasts and throughout other uh, topics. Because, mm -hmm. again, these three pillars that we've talked about in our last three episodes, our last three discussion episodes, are uh, sort of like the main things that take up all RPGs. So obviously we're going to talk about them in our other conversations. Um, but for now, that's it uh, for our general sort of overview of those uh, ideas in our opinions on those. Uh, next time, we're going to uh, do a role-playing uh, uh, social encounter session yeah. uh, one shot thing um, this <laughs> eloquently put so exactly eloquently so put. I would roll and get a 20 and then I would, <laughs> it turns out I said it very well yeah, now um, you guys understand perfectly exactly oh. um, so um, and so yeah we don't know what system we're going to play in yet we also don't know who's going to DM it yet to TBD pay attention uh, to our um, Twitter we have a Twitter now uh, tweet, you, tweet. you can follow us Good at uh, Noob Perspective, uh, with uh, but the last E is a three oh. because it was taken because <laughs> uh, uh, Noob Perspectives is too long and Noob Perspective was taken. So Fair. follow us at Noob Perspective, the three at the end. Uh, we also have a Discord server, uh, which has a we have a link to that on our Twitter profile. Mm -hmm. So you can find that there. As and well as give suggestions for episodes and other uh, things. Exactly, as yeah. well as give us suggestions for episodes and other things. Uh, so thanks, everybody, and uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. See you. Bye.